Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. I want to mention this morning before we get into it. One is, am I on here now? Okay, good. Look at that, man. Technology. Uh, so d- during our hiatus, we, we did not meet live, most of you guys know, for I think five months. And prior to that, we had schedules, actual schedules of people that were here that helped set up chairs, that greeted at the door, that did this that I'm doing right now, transition, made announcements, all those kind of things. Those all kind of fell through during that time. But we're trying to restart some of that and get get those things back in place. So we need volunteers. Uh, So two things. One, if you were on any of those schedules before and would like to be put back on, or if you have never been uh, involved in any of those capacities and would like to, would you please contact Tucker? His email address is on the uh, screen there. He's not here today. I think it's anniversary. Is it anniversary? Yeah. Tucker and Zoe are away for the weekend on their anniversary. Um, But get a hold of Tucker and let him know he manages our planning center and our our kind of scheduling and stuff, and he will take care of that for you. So let him know about that. The other thing is, uh, we, we, uh, every year, so for 20 plus years, we've never missed a year uh, of, of doing our Thanksgiving outreach where we provide Thanksgiving dinner boxes to, to needy families in our community. So this year with everything going on, there was a question if we would do that or not, but I kind of got told this week that we were going to do it. So, uh, (laughs) <laughs> so uh, we are going to do it. Here's the thing on that. M- m- we typically do a drive and we have people bring food in. But the, the truth is that most of the canned goods, the stuffing, the produce, all of that stuff we can get through our connections, both with Oregon Food Bank and with local farmers. So what we really need is you guys to donate cash. Uh, we buy, the, we instead, of, we used to do frozen turkeys and it was, Trying to store 25 or 30 frozen turkeys is not an easy task. So now we buy these little coupons. They're amazing. They're little and small. And they can be redeemed at any grocery store anywhere for a turkey or a ham. Those are $16 a piece. And so uh, you can also do, do an offering and just designate Thanksgiving or benevolence or whatever on there. And if anybody would like to give $16 towards that, that helps. And that makes the job a lot easier. I think that's it. Good stuff. All right. Uh, I need my notes. We have been uh, studying in the Gospel of Ruth, and I want to thank uh, Tucker for filling in last week. Actually, last last uh, Sunday, Donna and I were away at the beach, and it, we had a lovely time. I, we got there. We went to Cannon Beach at the end of September, and it was 84 degrees and blue skies, and the sun was shining, and God is good. And we were down there for about nine days and had a, a beautiful, beautiful time. So thanks for letting us do that. And um, talk for filling in. But uh, I want to continue in, in our, our study in, in Ruth today. Um, I really felt that this is one of those things, you know, you, you kind of pray as a pastor, what do I teach next when you're coming to the end of something? And uh, I really felt strongly about Ruth. And so I, I think it's, I hope it's been helpful and blessing for you guys 
uh, it, it's really been a joy for me to to get into it and to read some commentary and other works uh, about the Book of Ruth. Both Tucker and I, in in our messages over the last few weeks, have um, mentioned you know the title being the Gospel of Ruth. There are parallels. Ruth is an Old Testament book. It's a little Old Testament book that takes place in a dark time in Israel's history. Uh, the Gospels were uh, obviously, you know, the coming of Jesus and what was really another kind of dark time in Israel's history, maybe not quite as dark as the first, but uh, but sort of this eruption of light and grace and goodness. And there are some parallels uh, between the two. So we both refer to it as, as the Gospel of Ruth. We see things happen in the life of Ruth and of her mother-in-law, Naomi, that are uh, somewhat consistent with what happens when um, a person today even uh, will comes in contact with Jesus. When, when we encounter Jesus, life changes. Things are different. There's a perspective that's different. Uh, and I, we see some of that. So continuing today, I, I want to share um, something that I want to review something Tucker said last week. I uh, Donna and I were down at the beach and I was... Uh, I actually watched, I, I clicked on the stream and, and joined live last week. So I was listening during the service when you, with you guys, and then I, I listened to Tuck again later. And he said something that um, I really appreciated. He made the comment that service is influence. And um, that, that is such a true statement. What I realized, as true as that is, and as powerful as that is, that it gets lost in in our culture a little bit today. That dynamic gets lost a little bit today. Um, there's a tendency, and uh, where'd my coffee go? There it is. Yeah, I, I don't I, I don't like to point fingers. I, I just but I want to bring things up because I think it's important to mention this um, in the church. In 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 the church universal, not our church specifically, but just in Christians in the church in general, a tendency today to kind of elevate gifted people. Um, we, we, we sometimes, I, I was, this morning we were praying and I, I really, I so, so appreciate our worship team. I don't know if you guys are aware or not, but we have probably one of the most gifted worship teams on the planet in this little church right here. And um, I'm just saying. Uh, but here's the thing about them is that you, you would never know that by talking to them because they're just authentic, humble people. And that's not always the case. There are sometimes we're in the church, we kind of treat worship leaders like rock stars. You know, I was actually, this is a true conversation I was having with a friend of mine a while ago. And I mentioned a, a prominent church uh, to the south of us and my friend's response was, oh, the Rockstar Church. And I'd never heard that before. I go, what do you mean? And, and she said, oh, yeah, all the worship leaders come out like rock stars. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, it's not just worship leaders. I think uh, pastors, preachers, there's itinerant preachers today uh, who, you know, will come and speak at your conference or your, your event, your meeting, uh, there's contract. You sign a contract with them for literally thousands of dollars per session to have them come and speak, which I'm not, you know, it's just interesting to me. I used to do a lot of youth conferences when I was, I, I was the uh, National Youth Task Force Leader for Vineyard uh, for about eight years, and I would 
be invited to go speak at conferences all the time. I never had a contract. I would just go. And if they paid me, they paid me. If they didn't, they didn't. I would go, Donna, could they pay you? Yeah, how much? 50 bucks. Um, but, but my point is that sometimes these contracts are for thousands of dollars, literally per session, and, and I've seen them, I've signed them, that have riders in the back indicating what kind of food and drinks they want in the green room before and after the service. And it just, I just wonder sometimes, how did we get there? How, how did we get to that place um, you know, in the church today? Historically, I think, we didn't elevate giftedness nearly so much as we did service. Uh, and I, I think back over the history of the church, and I, I was just thinking this week of different people who I've read biographies of or who have impacted me in one way or another. I, I thought of St. Patrick, first of all. I don't know if you guys know the story of St. Patrick. We know St. Patrick today is Ireland and you drink green beer. But Patrick was not actually Irish, okay? Many people don't realize this. He was English. Patrick, as a teenager, was, and this is, this is legit, he was kidnapped by pirates and taken to Ireland. And while he was being held captive in Ireland, his job was to care for the animals. He took care of this, the sheep and the goats and, the, and the, the farm there for six years. And that's how he got known as sort of this patron saint of animals. After six years in slavery, Patrick escaped and fled back to England and, and went into a monastery, be, you know, went into the priesthood and then returned to Ireland to minister to the people of that nation where he had been held captive. And so to, there's just this thing of just serving those people. Uh, I think of some of you have probably never read. There's a great book. I can't think of the title of it now, but about Father Damien, uh, who was a a Belgian monk, and I think you say Flemish is the right way to say a Belgian, Belgian okay, Flemish monk, who, who uh, volunteered, he, so, so at the time, the island of Molokai in Hawaii was a leper colony, and people with leprosy were exiled there and, and kept separate from the rest of society because leprosy was highly contagious. Damien volunteered to go there. He said, I want to go there. And he spent 16 years on the island of Molokai serving communion, praying for people with leprosy, loving them, just being a pastor and a shepherd to them, ultimately contracting leprosy and dying there among his friends. Uh, just incredible service. On a more contemporary basis, I suppose, we, we think of people like Mother Teresa, who was uh, is she Ukrainian, Yugoslavian, Yugoslav- I don't know, something. And Mother Teresa, of course, uh, left her homeland and spent the vast majority of her life ministering to the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. So again, just the elevation of service is over and against the elevation of giftedness. I have no problem with giftedness. I'm thankful for gifted people. I, I'm just looking at perspective-wise in the life of the church, maybe, how, how we approach things. Uh, Ruth is a story of service. It really is. So we have Ruth serving her mother-in-law, Naomi, in the early part of the book. And then last week we were introduced to a man named Boaz, who also serves uh, both of these uh, widowed indigent women uh, very profoundly. So a few weeks back, I, I introduced the concept of chesed, which is the Hebrew word that's translated loving kindness or love, or kindness, or mercy, or a bunch of different ways in different passages. But it's a concept that's carried throughout the book. 
And it's one of the reasons uh, that I believe Ruth is so much like the gospel accounts is, is just this proliferation of this chesed. It's illustrated throughout the book, this, this gracious kindness towards others in action that we see time and time again. We see it in Ruth, and then we see it in Boaz. It really comes, though, from God. Um, Exodus 34, and he passed him, this is God, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming uh, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So that has said that loving kindness comes, that the source of it is God. One of the things I, I appreciate the most about Ruth, and to me, in terms of kind of contemporary significance, is that it breaks down barriers. The book of Ruth, there are racial barriers. There are religious barriers. There are gender barriers. And there are socioeconomic barriers and we see throughout the book that loving kindness of God just sort of melt those barriers down. And that's, to me, maybe one of the most profound messages we can hear as a people in the culture we live in today. Uh, I, I just look at our, our society today, and it's so incredibly polarized around many of those issues. And um, I, I just love the capacity of this book to give us a, a, a glimpse of something different than that. So with that in mind, um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read today's text. But just so you don't get bored listening to my voice, I've invo- invited my friend Rennie to come and read the text for you today. So it's a special treat. But first I'll pray, and you can come up right now. Uh, Jesus, thanks so much for your word. We are blessed, and we ask that you would uh, just enlighten the eyes of our hearts this morning, that your word would just speak to us richly. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, gleaning was um, Israel's welfare system. We, we have social systems in place today in our country and in different places around the world. So, gleaning was provided by the law uh, to take care of people that did not have resource to provide food for themselves and their families. It was made under the law... Uh, This is Leviticus. It says, when you reap the harvest, this is in the law, you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleaning of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. There's a parallel passage in Deuteronomy where God just tells the people of Israel that this this is what you do to provide for those in your community that are in need. I would say here, The heart of God has always been uh, leaning towards caring for the poor. There is is nothing, in my estimation, clearer in Scripture from beginning to end than that God's heart goes out to the vulnerable, to the weak, to the poor, to the sick, to those in need. And that's why it's such an important part of what we do here, because we believe it's a mandate of God on the church to care for people in need. Um, so uh, I just, to me, that's something we need to be super mindful of today. We, we, we do, we live in a kind of a me first culture, if we can be honest, right? Um, 
you know, what's best for me? Uh, and we, and that, that, that sort of permeates everything we do. And, and I'm going to say this gently and graciously to us. I know as, as Christians, we don't think that way. Our heart is always towards other people, but we live in a culture that's so filled with that. Sometimes it might creep in a little bit without us even being really aware. Okay, just saying. And I'll be the first to confess that. Sometimes I see that in myself, and I'm I, and I when I do when I recognize, I go, kind of, where did that come from? And I realize it's just so it, it's 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 so prominent around me that it's hard to avoid it. Um, so with that, I'm gonna go on a little bit of a limb and just say this. Before we're Americans, we're Christians. To me, that's the proper order. Okay, I'm a Christian first, and then, and then I'm an American. And I just say that to say that the heart of thinking of the heart of God, I want to I want to give consideration to where is God's heart in this situation. And sometimes it's not the same place that my heart might be as a citizen of this country. I, I want my perspective, and I believe our perspective as followers of Jesus should re- be to reflect the heart of God in in everything. And so, that's my little political commentary for the day. Um, in, in in Ruth's culture, the, you know, the time of Ruth's culture. Uh, so so we're introduced to gleaning. Men were hired. There was a harvest. Men were hired to go and, and cut the grain, and then the women were hired to come behind the men, and they would bundle the grain up in bundles. That's that's how the process worked. The ancient Near East was what we call a shame-based society, meaning simply that even though gleaning was a provision made by God under the law, culturally, and I think we can understand this maybe a little bit even today, poor people were looked down upon. And so there might be like the gleaners would come behind, you know, the, 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 the harvesters and people might go, oh, well, you know, here comes the gleaners, you know, there they are again. Um, it was, it was acknowledged and seen as a public display of poverty. If you were gleaning, you were a poor person. Everybody knew that. Um, and, and it wouldn't be that different than certain things we see today. You know, um, you might see, a person on the on a corner with a sign, which I'm, you you not might you will see that, uh, you know, asking for help, and or you know I don't know if you've ever seen there. We used to have uh, years ago uh, a, a fairly significant contingent of homeless folk that attended our church, and one of the one of their activities was they would go out canning. And they would go out to trash cans in the community and get cans and bottles out of, out of trash and collect those and take them back for money. And so we see some of those kinds of activities and people like that. And there may be, again, a level of judgment in our heart towards that. And, and again, I, I think by and large, most of us don't carry that with us, but, but it's, it's there nonetheless. Culturally, it's there. And we may, you know, take a little bit of that on. Um, I've really, I'll confess, I, I've changed over the years. I really tried to uh, ask God to to take all of that away from me because I, I, as a younger person, I didn't understand. I didn't get it. I'd worked, you know, since I was 13 years old, and I'd see these people and go, "Why don't you just get a job?" That was my initial response. Why don't you just get a job? Um, but I've grown to realize that it's it's not that simple. And I'll, I'll tell you, one of the things that's helped me we we do have our food pantry here every week and. Um, 
I, I talk to our clientele. I talk to people that come in and I hear their stories and, and um, you, you, you realize it's just not that simple. It's a complex world and people are, are in different situations for a variety of reasons and, and it's not ever my place to judge them. And so just, I guess that's another political commentary for the day. But um, so, so my point is that in, in Ruth's culture, they would be seen as poor people. Naomi understands this, okay? She gets it. Naomi, um, back in verse 2, it's Ruth who originally suggests gleaning. She says, I'll go glean. Naomi's response is, she says, go ahead, my daughter. And I don't know about you, but when I read that text, I can kind of hear the despondency in her voice. It's like, this is where we've come to. Naomi was a person at one point in time who had a good life. She had a home, she had a family, she had a husband, she had children, she had, you know, you know all, all of, of the things that society provides, and then all of that was lost. And so now she's uh, in this place of needing welfare and, and uh, just really being c- kind of, of broken. She, so she sees that. Um, not only was gleaning a sign of poverty, it was also dangerous, and that's brought up twice, once by Boaz and again by Naomi in verse 9. Um, Boaz says, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. He specifically told his workers, don't touch the slave. And then uh, Naomi says to Ruth, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. Um, so, so Ruth is a young, poor, uh, vulnerable woman, and uh, she's really left at the mercy of uh, whatever harm uh, someone might choose to inflict upon her. The potential sources of harm are great, okay? So there's other gleaners uh, who may not all be the most upright folk. There are the, the, the workers in the field, the harvesters there, and then there are also sort of the wealthy landowners. So there's several different categories of folk who might potentially take advantage of this young woman. Um, Boaz is described as in verse 2 as a man of stature. And I want to clarify a couple things. That word in, in the Hebrew is hail, and what it indicates is stature, prominence, wealth, power. It's a person of position. That particular word at this point, that, that person... Uh, as described by that word, it, it, it doesn't speak to their character. You could be that prominent, wealthy, powerful person and not be a person of good character. So there's, there's that. And, and we remember this is taking place uh, in the days when the judges ruled. So it's a dark time, and Boaz could easily have been a powerful person who would take advantage of a young woman. Okay, uh, he could have been, but Boaz is not that guy. Um, and, and I want to say parenthetically here, and, and I think this is important to keep in mind: the hero of the story is God. Okay, uh, Ruth plays a role, Boaz plays a role, but God is the hero of the story. And, and providentially, I really believe it's the providence of God that she ends up in that field because she could have been in, as was mentioned, in a different field. But she ended up there. And Boaz is a man of God. He is a hail, he's a, he's a powerful man, 
but he's also a man of God. And so in his field, she finds sanctuary. She finds safety. That's how it's supposed to work. Um, Boaz has, is such a, such a man of God that he's heard of the sacrifice this young woman has made. I don't know how he heard. I, I would love to ask, how did you know about this? How did you hear the story? Because he heard the story of what she'd done, the sacrifice that Ruth had made on behalf of Naomi. And he makes a beautiful declaration of that. This is Boaz, may the Lord repay you for what you have done, meaning helping your mother-in-law. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So he acknowledges that it's God who has provided and made a way for these, for these women to, to survive. And then he works as an agent of God. And again, this is another parallel of the gospel. He, you know, he, he, he works uh, like the kingdom of God works and he takes her under his wing as well. She's under the wing of God. And now I'm going to be the hands and feet of God and, and bless this young woman as well. Ruth and Naomi are, they're in need. They're poor. They're widowed. They're hungry. They're vulnerable. And gleaning is a last resort. They get that. And, and Boaz goes above and beyond. He, he could have done what the law indicated you have to do, which is don't pick up the grain on the edges of the field, leave that for the gleaners. And he would have been perfectly okay obeying the law of God by doing that, but he doesn't do that. He does more than that. He doesn't provide just enough. He provides in abundance. He, he invites her in. He gives her a meal. Take some back for your mother-in-law. He, he provides, he goes above and beyond. Jesus said, I come to bring you life and life abundantly. And that's what Boaz does here. And that's how God works. He says, I'm not going to just give you enough to get by. I want to provide more for you. Um, so Ruth, later, she returns home after this. And Naomi asks, so where did you glean today? And again, I think she's still at this point kind of despondent, kind of like, you know, uh, how to go. Um, and Ruth answers and tells her where she was. And all of a sudden the lights come on and Naomi changes. And this is, now she says, the Lord bless him, exclamation point. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, has he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. I read that verse just out of context and you go, okay, is she talking about God or Boaz? And I think maybe both. You know, um, he's not stopped showing kindness. And, and again, I think there's a parallel to the gospel here because I believe at this point, uh, Naomi has a salvation experience. I think she comes out of that place of hopelessness and despondency into a place of renewed hope and life again. Uh, it's really a very, very significant turning point in her life here. And again, I told you a couple weeks ago, the book is Ruth. It's really Naomi's story. And, and in a very real way, th this is the pivotal moment of the story where Naomi comes from this place of tremendous brokenness. We called her uh, the first week I said female Job. She had lost everything, lost her family, lost her home, lost, just lost her, everything, uh, completely destroyed. She's been heavy hearted. She's been in this place of brokenness for a long time. And I think, 
and this is, I'll just kind of wrap up. To me, this is a reminder that no one is so far away that God can't reach them. And, and here's the thing. I want to say this, and this is, I think, the point, and, and so interesting. I, I do not coordinate. We used to do it more. We don't anymore. But I, I do not coordinate my teaching with the worship team and the songs. And this morning's songs, I felt like, were just... Um, God's word to us today that we think sometimes in terms of sin that no sin will separate us so far from God. But I want to say today I felt no sin against us will separate us that far from God either. That there's no amount of brokenness, no amount of hopelessness, no amount of pain that God can't reach his people in. And I, I just feel like that was the word today. You know, I, I wouldn't tell you guys all to get here at 8.30, but I love being here during rehearsal. And this morning, uh, Elijah did that little tag, you know, God, something holding on and God is holding on. And he said, I don't know if I want to do that. And I go, no, you have to do that. Because I just felt like that was God's word. You know, we come to that place of, of, of lostness, brokenness, pain, and God says, I'm still here. So why don't you guys stand? Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.